We're back, back for the 38th episode of the Letterman Jacket Podcast. I'm Eli Letterman, sellout crowds Oklahoma beat writer, and today we are joined by Tommy Tubbs, son of Billy Tubbs, for a conversation on the Tubbs family legacy in Norman uh, before the Sooners plan to honor Billy Tubbs uh, in Norman on Saturday. Todd Lisenby joins us. It's a great chat. Uh, dive into the history of everything with OU Hoops and the Billy Tubbs era. But first, before we do that, a word from our sponsors, the people who make the Letterman Jacket possible. That list begins with Two Fellows Movers. We've got Oklahoma Ford Dealers and Midfirst Bank, the National Cowboy and Western Heritage Museum, and of course, our good friends at Fire Lake. The Fire Lake Firelight Balloon Fest is coming in August. It'll be here before you know it. This annual event is one of the best balloon festivals in the country. And now it has an app. So head to the Apple Store, head to Google Play, wherever you get your apps, go there, get the app, and head to Fire Lake, head to Shawnee in August for the Balloon Fest. All right, with that, now our conversation with Todd Lizaby and Tommy Tubbs. All right, welcome to the Letterman Jacket to Tommy Tubbs, son of OU coach Billy Tubbs. Tommy, where are we speaking to you from today? I'm at home today. It's Valentine's Day. This I'm I'm thrilled to be on the Valentine's edition today of the letter jacket. So happy Valentine's. And, and you've got the red on to, to to suit it. I love it. I mean it's a popular red around these parts, but it, it works on Valentine's Day too. Well, that's thanks to Ann Tubb. She's a great wife and laid everything <laughs> out for me this morning. Well, look great. We're thrilled to have you. You know, we're we're here to talk a, a bit about your dad and his legacy. Uh, before OU honored him Saturday afternoon, Kansas game. I want to ask you about that, but just the starting off point, the the relationship that your father and your family carved with OU, how has it endured over all the years since he finished coaching, since he's been gone and, and up to now? Uh, it's 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 been amazing, and uh, that's a, a really deep question. You know, it's it it really it's amazing how fast time flies. But OU basketball has been a direct part of our family for 44 years now. It it just amazing. Uh, I can remember like it was yesterday uh, in May of 1980 uh, when OU uh, when Dave Bliss left Oklahoma to go to SMU and and kind of the story behind all of that uh, to my senior year in high school when my dad sat us down at the table. Uh, he was at Lamar University. They had been they just made a run in the Sweet 16 of the NCAA tournament, and lost a really close game to Larry Nance and Clemson uh, to get to the Elite Eight. And uh, I always thought, as a little kid, I would end up playing for him at Lamar. And uh, when Oklahoma came calling, Tom McCurdy as uh, the head of the Board of Regents and Dr. Bill Banowski and Wade Walker and that crew. Uh, they were strong. Uh, and so, you know, my dad had grown up in Tulsa, uh, gone to Tulsa Central High School. And so it was really a dream to get to come to the University of Oklahoma. But Eli, I still remember back in those days, you know, people in Beaumont and Southeast Texas and that area saying, why in the world would you go to Oklahoma? They haven't done anything. And it's a football school, you know, and, and uh, you've got all these players at Lamar coming back next year. You can make a run to the final four. And uh, but my dad, you know, just had a vision and and uh, we certainly followed and it was a it was a great decision for our family. And we've met, you know, just so many. What, what so what Oklahoma has meant throughout all those times is how many extended family members I have, brothers and sisters and and uh, 
it's it's a lifetime of memories and i appreciate you guys helping me capture you know these all of these memories Tom, well, Tommy, but, we could talk. We could talk for hours about stories about your dad. I just have to throw this in there, Eli. I got a chance to do radio with your dad for a year or so, <laughs> and uh, one of the stories I remember him telling was about that first year at Oklahoma. It was either first or second year where you guys played against Lamar, and right. he said it was. He said it was late in the game, and he looked up on the scoreboard, and he thought he was ahead, and he realized he was looking at Lamar's score and not Oklahoma's score, and they were actually behind late in the game. So. Uh, it's yeah. one of the many great stories your dad tells about his years at Oklahoma. Yeah, and I, I heard that story many times. It's true. You know, he looked <laughs> up and, and some of the great players that he had at Lamar, Mike Oliver and and B.B. Uh, Davis and, and some of those guys, you know, he's looking out and it's late in the game. And one of the assistants said, hey, coach, we're down a point. <laughs> and so, you know, Lamar went on to win that game by one that day. So true story. I think one of the most fascinating parts to me, you mentioned 44 years ago now that uh, since, since your father got hired at OU, he came, he left a good situation at Lamar and showed up to a football school that I think had made four NCAA tournaments in its history before he showed up. And yet he had this confidence about him. He came in, I believe it was at his introductory presser, right? And he said, I'm going to win a national title here. He yeah. never did that, but he got pretty dang close. Where did Boy, that confidence yeah, one of, so it, it's, you know, you learn, and that's why when you have the opportunity, you know, we're only put on this earth one time and we get one shot. And when you have the opportunity to talk to people, if you've got any, you know, riffs or anything with people, iron that out and ask the questions that you want. Uh, but, you know, my dad just had a, he, he, when he came to Oklahoma and, and I'll, kind of correct a little bit that but that initial press conference april fool's day 1980 uh in the student union at ou uh he came in and and he and he said he was very confident um he said you know we're gonna i want our fans to buy their tickets now because we're getting ready to we're gonna win the the big eight regular season uh we're gonna win the regular season we're gonna win the conference tournament we're gonna go to the ncaa tournament we're gonna be on the national stage uh, we'll go to the final four. And the thing he said, Eli, that he regretted to his final days was he said, we're going to play for the national championship. Mm. <laughs> and, a, and a lot of the people in that, you know, the audience that day um, thought, God, this guy's lost his mind. Has he not seen OU basketball? And of course, Dave Bliss and, and that crew with Terry Stotts and John McCullough and Al Beal and Aaron Curry and all those guys and had won the Big Eight and kind of shown that it could happen at Oklahoma because you're right. I think I think it had been three times uh, prior to my dad getting there. 1979 was one of those, but um, he really believed it. You know, the confidence uh, I've learned a lot about my dad after his passing. Um, you know, you, you, you kind of know things when they're with us and, but after they're gone, you, you really can't go back. So you, I'm a, I love history. Uh, I love the history of, uh, the, the genealogy and all that time. But my dad was the ninth of nine children and he was, he was born in 1935. Um, and his, his nearest sibling was nine years older. And my father's, uh, dad passed away just after his third birthday. Uh, and then they had moved and ended up in Tulsa and his mom died just after his 15th birthday. So essentially he was homeless at that time. And, uh, his brother who had just come back from world war two, uh, Wayne 
that was a fixture at a lot of the games in the Lloyd Noble back in those days, but Wayne had to raise him. He was recently married, had a couple of kids. Can you imagine taking in a sibling to raise? And then it essentially got to, after he graduated Tulsa Central um, in junior college, uh, he ended up at Lon Morris Junior College in Jacksonville, Texas, and the J Lon Morris had been to the national tournament, and they had all five starters returning. And uh, Shelby Metcalf, Shelby had coached at Texas A&M, but Shelby was also a Tulsa Central grad, a lot older than my dad, had encouraged my dad and his brother for my dad to go to Lon Morris. And my dad wrote the coach. Back in those days, you wrote a letter and you airmailed it. It didn't, you know, it wasn't like, because it could take days to get there, but he wrote the coach. I actually found the letter. I have the letter. And he wrote the coach and said, I would like to come to Lon Morris uh, out of high school. And the coach said, I've got all five starters. I don't have a scholarship for you. And I have that letter. And then there was another letter. And he said, if I come and make your starting five, can you find some a scholarship for me? And the coach said, I will. If, if you come here and make the starting five, I'll find a scholarship. And my uncle put my dad on a bus in Tulsa with $15 in his pocket and sent him to Jacksonville, Texas. And he made the starting five and got a scholarship. Uh, one of the letters the coach at Lon Morris wrote my dad, he said, I can get you half a scholarship. It's going to cost you $15 a month. And my dad didn't have the $15. And so when I look back on all of those days and you go, what built that mindset? What made that confidence? What, what gave him those expectations? It was just those days were tough. You know, nobody gave him anything. He didn't expect anything in return. And when in 1980, when he came, Eli, to the University of Oklahoma, you know, if you remember, Missouri won four straight Big Eight Conference championships. Kansas was always a, a power and Kansas State. So OU was kind of a homecoming game, so to speak. And that first year was rough. Uh, I think we tied the football team with number of wins that year <laughs> at nine. And he always, you know, he always kind of gave Coach Switzer a hard time. You know, hey, I won as many games this year as you did, but but everybody's on me. So anyway, he just had a he, he had the ability to dream and dream big. And but the belief that he had was just incredible in, in himself. And and but he was able to transfer those beliefs to the people around him. And um, you know, certainly this honor this weekend is very humbling. It's 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 amazing. It, proud that the university is doing it. The Tubbs family loves the University of Oklahoma uh, and especially the basketball program. But uh, I know that my dad will be in the arena. I know he's always in that arena, but I'm um, looking forward to it. And, and, but, you know, we had a lot of great times, a lot of great wins. So I know that going back, I think he wishes he had said in that initial press conference, we should have won the national championship. Hmm. Well, I'll, I'll ask you this. Uh, we'll get to all, all the more, but this weekend, what are folks who are at Lloyd Noble Center going to see? What what's uh, what did, what do they have planned that you can tell us about now? Yeah, so well, it's it's great. Uh, Joe Castiglione has been great. Mike Hauk has been great. Uh, Alex Anderson with the O Club, Renee Forney, Coach Mosier. They they've all been great. So they're kind of keeping some things a secret. So you guys may know some things that I don't. Um, uh, what I do know is we've got quite a few players that are coming back uh, from this era and on on and before, 
uh, and and Coach Sampson and and Coach Capel and and Coach Kruger's tenures there. It's about the OU family, and that's uh, you know I, I've I've kind of think they're maybe going to do a banner in Lloyd Noble, and you know when 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 and if that's what it is that they do. Uh, I know when I look at that banner, I will see all the people involved. It's not just about my dad didn't do this on his own. You know, and and I, in my mind, the expectations and the foundation of the program that are there in place today are really from this era, you know, the the modern era. And, uh, you know, like you mentioned earlier, the program had only been to the NCAA tournament three or four times prior. And now that's the expectation today. And we've had great players. Uh, we've had great staff The you know, when I think of the initial one of the initial coaches that came in with my dad in 1980 was Mike Anderson. He was there all 14 years. And and uh, Mike is still we still talk today. It's amazing how these events follow you through life, wins and losses. Uh, but Mike Mims, uh, Jim Kerwin, who's no longer with us. And then, you know, all the, the secretaries and the sports information directors that all made it happen. Uh, it's just amazing what we all accomplished and, and man, it's just always on our heart and always on our mind for sure. I'm thrilled to be in Oklahoma sooner. So Todd, I want to ask you about this because as, as you mentioned it, Tommy, your dad kicked off. What is this modern era of Oklahoma basketball? Three or four NCAA t- uh, tournament appearances before he showed up since then, I think something like 28, 29. I mean, OU has become a mainstay in the postseason. And Todd, that was sort of the era of, of OU basketball you grew up grew up with, and it was high scoring. It was fast. Uh, you know, Billy Tubbs took advantage of the shot clock and the three point line. All that. It feels now, unfortunately, like a bygone era of college basketball. It feels distant from there. But Todd, growing up in this state, how much fun or what were those teams like to watch? Oh, it was amazing. I mean, the the. It, the fervor that the fans and the students especially had for Oklahoma basketball was wild. And I think what it was, was, you know, Tommy kind of hit on this when he talked about how his dad was raised and, and his childhood and what got him to Oklahoma. He His dad didn't care. He didn't care if other teams played slow. He was playing his way. You know, he didn't care what other coaches thought about him. He was doing it his way. And I think that's something that Oklahoma fans really gravitated around. And I think, you know, players really gravitated around that as well. Um, And I I think that kind of just attitude that he had of, you know, I'm going to do it the Billy Tubbs way. And I don't care if it's not been done that way before. That's how I'm going to do it. It it rubbed off on the fan base and it was really awesome. Well, I I agree, Todd. And I'm glad that you were around for that time. You know, I've had I've had. It's hard. It's hard. You know, after time goes by, things change. We all have to be creatures, you know, that, that can change. And 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 these are different times, you know, with, that we're in. And and I have to keep an open mind. I think of the old ways. But, um, you know, you're right. My dad didn't care. He he had uh, he taught us all the the us against the world mentality and the expectation that he placed in us is when we're going to Allen Fieldhouse, we expect to win. We're not, we're not going there just to put on a good show. We want to win. And if we've got to win going playing fast or we win playing slow, it, it's just how it is. And when we go to Ahern, you know, I miss those old games in Ahern Fieldhouse, uh, or we, we were going to Columbia, Missouri. We expected to win. We pulled off the bus and the antics 
that would go on as time went on. When you start winning, you know, people don't like to see you coming. And, and you know, back in those days, people's feelings didn't get hurt kind of the way they are today. The, the things of the fans were, the, whether it was the Antlers or it was at KU or wherever we went, it was, it was fun. You know, I mean, you went to a game to be entertained and to be exciting and really first and foremost to watch the players play. And that was something that my dad had a great feel for is, you know, we, we worked hard in practice and he would get on to you in practice. But if you ever watched during the game, I can't ever remember a time that he publicly, you know, got onto a player or berated a player in public. He kind of played the villain role. He, you know, he, there was a reason he was on the officials. It kind of detracted some of the, the attention and let the players play. Just get, and he always had a saying, he goes, as long as he's happy, everybody should be happy. And if he, he's happy, we're winning, you know? And so if, if he went out and, and he, he always had this attitude of, you know, hey, I've already run my three or four miles today. I'm going to kick that other coach's butt. I got my man. You know, are you going to be able to guard yeah. your man? And so, you know, we all kind of, we all kind of stood up for one another. And, a, and another thing that's really interesting, um, you know, back in the '80s, of course, our football team was really good. They played for a couple of national championships. Um, and and I think back, my dad, growing up in Tulsa, was a big fan of Bud Wilkinson and the Oklahoma football program in those days. And one thing that they did, uh, Coach Wilkinson, not only did they win, but they won big. And my dad always understood, as far as numbers go, that Oklahoma fans love to win, and they love to win big. And he wanted the bright lights. He wanted the biggest stage uh, for us. We weren't afraid of that. Um, you know, He loved the fact that we were on TV. Uh, I think back, I think it was probably the second game in school history. I think Possibly the first nationally televised game in OU basketball history was possibly when uh, OU and, and that group of guys in 79 played against Indiana State. But I know our first real feel of the national limelight was when we went to Syracuse in 83 and played in the Carrier Dome on CBS. And if Calvin Pierce makes two free throws at the end of the game, we beat him 100 to 91. And so, uh, you know, he, he just had that attitude that, you know, let the players play, the fans come to see the players and, and do your thing out there. And, and most importantly, have fun doing it. And we had a lot of fun. Eli, Eli, I want to tell a, a, I want to tell a quick official. Let's hear it. <laughs> well, re real quick, real quick. I just want to tell this story this yeah, because this is one of my favorite tub stories that I don't think he told very much, but I think it was during the 88 run, Tommy, that, the, I don't know if like if they went on during the NCAA tournament, if they got more per diem per round, or if the per diem was just higher for the tournament <laughs> than it was for normal road trips. But he said his guys were right. so excited when they got out of the first first weekend that they were going to get per diem for That's another right. week. So they started breaking the huddle yeah. with a set of one, two, three Sooners. It was one, two, three per diem is how they started breaking yeah. the huddle. So, which yeah. I've always thought is great. So I just want to ask you just real quickly, Tommy, how do you think your dad would have handled the NIL era? Because I kind of that's feel like question. he might've been someone that would have embraced it. Yeah, that's, that's a great question, Todd, and something we'll probably never really know. I know that, I know that he, you know, he had always thought it would be a good idea. I just don't know that anybody ever really had a great solution for, you know, everybody felt like the payer, players should be paid something. I mean, there's a lot of money being made. But, you know, what's really what's transpired 
and I can speak on this because I know the answer, but one of the things my dad and, and all, most coaches really love the fact, the loyalty thing, you know, when, when your players come in and you're, and then the fans, they want to identify with players. You know, when you, when you look back at this era that we're talking about and you have a Wayman Tisdale come in, you know, Wayman was there three years is, you know, so as a fan, a young fan, you're identifying with these heroes, you know, you're going, Hey, if you're a little kid, Wayman Tisdale was there and they had a great season and they're going to be better when he's a sophomore, you know, well today with, with this portal guys, if they're not happy, they just leave, you know, I, I feel for coach Mosier, you know, coming in that first year and bringing in nine new guys. Uh, and it's kind of been that trend the last couple of years, but you know, one, one thing I know in today's world, I don't know all to Todd to answer your question, all the portal rules. I don't know them all. I heard coach Mosier speak on it one time. He did a great job, but it is, it is, it's interesting when, you know, guys are making three and $400,000 a year. Um, what I worry about, and I, I think back on conversations that I had with Wayman before Wayman passed is we were able to have some really deep conversations. And one of the things he shared with me was some of the greatest times that he ever had in basketball were during college, you know, because he had so much fun. Everybody wants to get to the NBA and they want to get that big paycheck. But once you do that, it's a business. It's a, it is a full blown business. And what my concern today is, is that, you know, you think of that college experience that people have, that's a growing period. You know, it's kind of a time between adolescence and adulthood. And these kids are, it's a business now in college. It's how much money they're making. You know, last year, I hate to say it, but, you know, we finished, we were tied for last in the Big 12 Conference. And, our, you know, we lost players in the portal last year off the last place team. It had been nice to see some of those guys come back and see how they could, you know, be, suck it up and get tough and let's see what we can do. Let's bow your neck. And But in this day and age, that doesn't happen. Guys get happy and they leave. So, yeah, I think he might have embraced it, uh, but it all comes down to where do you raise the money? Where do, How do you get it? Where does it come from? Um, you know, I know when I've been asked, uh, shoot, I have a family. I need my own NIL deal. It's hard to, you know, it's hard to give money up to guys that there's no contracts with the NIL. Um, guys can come and go as they please. There's no guarantee that they're going to stay. And, you know, we're all, we're not dummies. You know, I mean, we're, you work hard to do better and to make more money so that you can support your family. And it's tough when, I don't know, I'm still, I'm still wrapping my head around the NIL and I don't want to be that old guy that just goes, Oh, it's just not the way it can happen. You got to open your mind and think a new way. And I think for me personally, I'm still trying to figure that out, but I, I can't even imagine what my dad would, would say in today's game. I, I kind of wonder when you see coaches like Lon Kruger and Roy Williams and Jay Wright at Villanova, all hanging it up, and then you're starting to see guys in football hang it up. It's it's a different strain in the college game today for the coaches and everyone involved, even the players. I mean, uh, I have a nephew that's playing football in college right now. In the last two years, his roommates have all jumped in the portal and left. You know, think back on your college days when you start as a freshman and you go through college with you know, your roommates and for four years or five years, whatever it is, those are lifetime friends. What's going to happen to all these kids today when one year you got a set of teammates and the next year you got another set and that. So where does it end? I don't know. 
Well, another piece, like you mentioned, the portal is the, the modern piece of the game and the turnover and, and kind of the fan recognition. I, I think that's something that's hitting the game right now in terms of year to year, you're not <laughs> seeing the same guys back. But another element of it, and Porter has talked about this a lot with his team, because he's, he's had turnover every year, is getting a group of guys to play his style of basketball. And that that takes time and probably takes a few seasons. And he hasn't, you know, he's had some ter- carryover, but, you know, each year has been a new group. That's right. The style of play that your dad's teams played, do you think it would have been suited to guy, you know, basically mm-hmm. plug and play, being able to take new guys in just because of how fast and, and exciting it was? Or would it have been a challenge to, if he had had to turn over, you know, six, seven, eight guys every season? Yeah, another great question. Um, so, let me address that first part of it. You know, if you remember, let's again, we're kind of talking about my dad's era. You know, if you remember back in those days, we would have guys that were there from year to year to year, but we would always bring in JUCO guys. And it would usually take the first semester for a JUCO guy to really adapt. And and, and with the exception of, say, a Mookie Blaylock, mm. you know, I mean, Mookie was pretty mature. He was ready to go. It's just a matter of learning the, the offenses and things. And we tried to keep things simple, you know, offensively and defensively. What You know, it's just a matter of knowing where to go and the schemes and that type of thing. But do I think uh, that style of play could be done today? Absolutely. And the reason that I do is I go back to 1980, you know, the Big 8 Conference in the 70s and the 80s, if you go back and look at those scores, they were in the 50s and 60s. And I remember distinctly, and I remember my dad's first year at Oklahoma distinctly, and I shared this with someone the other day, when he left Lamar and people were asking, why are you leaving all those players? You're playing up-tempo. You're playing the way you want to play. You can't do that at Oklahoma, and you can't do that in the Big 8. Missouri and Kansas and K-State, they're the bullies on the block. They're gonna, you're going to have to play and adapt the way they're playing. And he said his comment was, not when I get my players. And so if to this day, the players are still what win the game. The, you, you, the coaches, what you do in practice is so important. And if you, But if you watch the game today, and I remember I had a coach in junior college because I played junior college as well. We ran the wheel in 1980. You know, and it and it all comes down to a high ball screen. If you notice, think back in the in this era of the eighties and the nineties, you had post players. You know, and in this era we we would have guys like Big Time Jones. Remember Charles Big Time Jones and Wayman? And then you had Wayman and David Johnson, and we established position on the blocks. And you didn't we had an my dad's rule was inside out. You always attack the defense inside the paint. And that opened up the outside. Well, if you watch the game today, there's so many. You take your big guy. He's not on the block anymore. He's, it's kind of like the NBA. They're setting high ball screens at the top of the key. So you've taken your big guy's strength away. What do the big guys want to do today? Shoot threes. You know, and and used to back in these days is a guy like Wayman that played with his back to the basket and on the post and was dominant down there. When he got to the NBA, you struggle a little bit when you're learning your outside position and you're you're going to kind of a, almost a small forward. But, yeah, I think if you had the right players today and you wanted to press, some teams press. I noticed last night in the game against Baylor, we pressed kind of down there late. This is just my opinion. I'd, I would love to see the press more often. Give guys a chance to turn it over. 
And so, yeah, I think that style and up tempo and it basketball is like any other sport is very cyclical. It's going to, it goes in cycles. And so uh, when, when you look across the country and they're wondering where are our fans, how do we get these fans back? You got to entertain them, you know, and, and that old argument, of, well, the Thunder has come into town and they've hurt Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. I don't know about you guys, but I was at the West Virginia game and there was a pretty darn good crowd in Lloyd Noble Center. I was at the Texas game. It was full. I was at the Oklahoma State game. The Lloyd Noble Center never looks better than when it's full. And But you got to give the fans some, something to be entertained about. The other thing that my dad instituted and all of us players is you never, ever lose at home. You protect that home court. And in the 80s, the NBA teams that were really dominant were the Boston Celtics and the Los Angeles Lakers. And he would tell our teams, and it's a mindset, if you haven't thought this, you're probably not going to achieve it. But he would tell us, if the Boston Celtics come play us in Lloyd Noble, we're winning. We're going to find a way. If the Los Los Angeles Lakers come, we're going to win that game. So when you play your conference opponents, you expect – to win that game, period. And I think at one time we had a 51-game home win streak, and I'll never forget this. Duke was the team that came in and beat us. And I believe it was in the 86th season. And I remember Mike Krzyzewski telling my dad after after that season, because I believe Duke went on and won the national championship. If they didn't do it that year, it was the next year. But he said, when we came in and beat you guys in Norman and we broke your home winning streak, that gave us the confidence that we could win a national championship. And that's, that's about as high a compliment as another coach. Surely you don't want them to come in there and beat you, but Hey, it happens. And, but we also, where we really turned the corner is when we had those same expectations on the road. We, we met as a group and said, you know what? We're winning all our home games. Let's expect to go win all our road games too. And it's amazing. I I had a conversation with Dave Seeger Saturday and I may have been put in my place. I always kind of joke with some of the – Stacy King and some of the guys. I always said I was the winningest sooner. In two years, we were 60-11 and 11 overall, and we were 26-2 and two in conference. My two years that I played – well, I was talking to Dave Seeger Saturday, and he said, well, you, you know that all four years that I played at OU, we won the Big Eight. <laughs> Think about that. You know, I mean, those were our expectations. And so – my dad had he put in our mind that we could do it. He put in our mind that we were going to go to the NCAA tournament. We were going to win a lot of games, and that we could. You know, I know that when he passed away, he he was still just. I can't believe University of Oklahoma basketball has never won a national championship, and we were close, but and it was painful. But you know, I look back on those days, and my final game as a Sooner was in Reunion Arena in Dallas. 1985 against Memphis State, Keith Lee, Andre Turner, William Bedford, uh, to go to the Final Four of the year, Villanova upset Georgetown. We were right there knocking on the door. And then just a couple of years later in 88, we're, there we are playing a conference foe, Kansas and Kemper Arena with a chance to win the national championship. And, and we hadn't beat Kansas bad those, those two previous games. I think both games were by six points. So – Kansas just had something that night that most people didn't have, and that's a 6'11 guard and Danny Manning that could get the ball down the floor. And But, man, so proud of all these teams and all these times. I'm still proud of the Sooners today. I walked out of the Lloyd Noble Center this past Saturday 
with my chin up and my chest out after beating Oklahoma State. Um, sad a little bit that we're leaving the conference. Going to miss a lot of these teams. Um, but it's been, a, like I said, it's been a part of my life, and it remains a part. My mom is still with us. Uh, she's 89 years young and remembers everything. And uh, it's just my sister. It's just been a, a great it was a great opportunity that the University of Oklahoma gave my dad and, and our family back in 1980. Well, Todd, if you've got something you, you cut in right now, but the last thing I got to ask you about, Tommy, we'll do some rapid fire questions to get you out of here, but I got to ask you about February 9th, 1989. If you yes. don't remember the date, that's, uh, that's the night your dad grabbed the microphone. Missouri was in town and, as far as I know, is the only college basketball coach who ever picked up a technical foul with a microphone in their hand. <laughs> yeah. what, where were you that night, and what what was your father's kind of memory of that way down the road after it happened? Yeah, so well, it, it's it's funny. I was sitting right behind the bench. I was on the. I was right behind him, and you know, I, I you never knew. The thing about my dad that was great. I think Todd would say this too: is you you never knew what was getting ready to, what he was getting ready to say. But you knew it was going to impact. Hey, you scared me to death, way. Tommy. Scared me to death. I was a producer <laughs> on the radio show. I never knew what he was going to say. <laughs> yeah, and so, but but our players, you know, the players responded to that because they always knew. And this, you know, it, whether you're in business or whether you're in coaching, anytime your boss or your coach supports you and takes up for you, it really you hear that old saying: you want to run through a brick wall for them. Every player that we ever had or every, you know, they all knew that my dad had their back. And so when Ed Hightower approached him that night and, you know, the, the thing is, is the level of expectation. Nobody put more pressure on Billy Tubbs than Billy Tubbs. And so when Ed Hightower, I think we were, you know, we're playing Missouri. We're in a, a part of the season that is really, man, it's the fun part of the season. You're in conference. But that next game, if you remember, we were getting ready to play Arizona. And they had instituted a, a deal. I think at, the, at that time, if you got kicked out of a game, you had to sit out the next game. And that was some questions. So when Ed Hightower approached him, the fans were throwing things on the court. I can't remember, Todd, exactly what the score was. It was probably like 21 to 5 or 25 to 8 or something. Missouri, and that was, by the way, Eli, the game where Norm Stewart – when Missouri was coming in, it collapsed on the plane and it was later determined that he had colon cancer or prostate cancer. Um, so, you know, my dad was a take no prisoner kind of guy. So he, he saw Missouri, this wasn't against norm or about norm, but when we're down, we were shocked. Missouri comes out and they jump out to a big lead and we're expecting to win and to play well. And all of a sudden the fans are probably, not happy with the way we were playing and the way the calls were going. And I think Mookie Blaylock made a steal in front of the Missouri bench. And uh, I think it was Jim Bain made a, a traveling call and Mookie got bumped and there was a traveling call. And so things come on the floor and Ed Hightower walks down and, you know, says, Billy, you're going to have to calm the crowd. And, and if you look at the video, he's like double taking me, you want me to, and he's like, yeah, I want you to go tell the crowd. So in his mind, He's doing exactly what Ed Hightower said. So he takes the mic and said what he said. And Ed, Ed broke his finger giving the technical. 
He's still a friend to this day. Ed, Ed and my dad actually spoke in each other's benefits and things later on. But Ed called it, and it's recorded, one of the greatest moves in college basketball history because you could almost see the Missouri players when it happened just kind of step back and go, whoa, I can't believe you just said that. And and it made our team respond. We came back and won the game, and then we played Arizona, and he got to coach in that game, thankfully, and we beat Arizona. So, yeah, that was a monumental moment. But something, you know, it happened. It was it was legendary. But I don't know that that defines my dad. <laughs> and uh, although it, it's certainly something that comes up and it's on YouTube and, and pretty neat. But, uh, yeah, it, it, that's talked about. It's and, and it's also, it's amazing. Lloyd Noble Center at that time, I think, only held like 10,800 people. And I think there's there's been like 300,000 people that yep. have claimed to have hit the game. <laughs> yeah. It's, I'll just add a couple things, Eli. Uh, it was 21 to five. Oh, you had just hit a three to make it 21 to eight. So they were down 16 early in the game, had just made it 13. And the crowd was just starting to get going. And there'd been kind of like the Bedlam game last week. There'd been so many whistles early on in that game that the crowd was getting frustrated and uh, stuff came on the floor and, Two things that were great about it. Number one, I don't know who it was, but there's a media member in the background that you can see have a reaction like, whoa, I can't believe he just said that. <laughs> and then the other thing about it is like you said, Tommy, when he got teed up, your dad with the, what did I do? I didn't do any. I did exactly what you asked me to do, which was classic yeah. Billy Tubbs. I thought that was awesome. That was awesome. Yeah. yeah. But now he was a character everywhere we went, uh, you know, and it was a, it was like traveling with a rock band. You know, in the early 80s when when Wayman was when Eli, when Wayman was a freshman and it, this is this is to me is legendary stuff. Um, I've been on a mission for the last couple of years and I think Kansas, you know, you always have to look at the teams that are kind of setting the bar. But I look at Kansas basketball and they do such a great job with their history, their legacy, their tradition and Oklahoma has that. I, I'm proud when I walk in the Lloyd Noble Center today and I. I look up and I see those there, you know, Kansas, there's five or six banners that are national championship banners. But when you, the, it, it, the university of Oklahoma, when you look up and you see there's five banners from the final four, that's a lot, you know, it's hard. There's a lot of coaches. There's a lot of programs that never make it. Um, but my dad just instilled that in us. And, uh, well, like kind of helped me here, Todd, where was I going with this? Uh, well, I don't know what you were going to say, but I just want to remind Eli, who's a who's a Missouri grad, oh, that they have Kansas. zero Final Fours. That's yeah. all I wanted to do. Yeah. Oh well, well, so I want to share a story with Eli real quick. Mm -hmm. I think this is really neat. Um, so, my dad, we had an us against the world mentality, and so when we played in those days in the '80s, you know, he always said to all those teams in the Big Eight, if you look at our schedule back then, we lost by thirty several games they were nine and 18 that season and he said you better get your lumps now because when i get my players we're changing the face of this league and and norm stewart was as competitive as my father i mean they were two great competitors mm -hmm. one thing that the fans don't know and maybe don't think about but those two guys were also showmen they knew how to sell tickets and even though everybody thought they hated each other on the floor, they actually really liked each other and the families. Coach Stewart is still alive today. 
Um, his wife, Virginia, is was good friends with my mom and dad. And when they would travel to the Big Eight meetings, they would spend a lot of time together. But um, so when we create this us against the world mentality and you're playing these teams, Kansas and Kansas State and Missouri and you're going in and, and you're upsetting the apple cart and you're actually winning some games, you know, and they're not liking it. And as, as time goes on, it gets more and more competitive. So I started this run to try to get my dad in the college basketball hall of fame. And that is quite a political process. And one, he has to be nominated. And so back in August, we sub I submitted 42 letters from various coaches around the country um, former players, administrators, uh, and Joe Castiglione, a university and institution had to nominate. But one of the coaches that I really wanted to talk to and talk with was Norm Stewart. And I hadn't talked to Coach Stewart in probably 20 years. And Eli, if you were, he had a longtime assistant that played at Missouri, uh, Kim Anderson. Mm -hmm. He played a really influential role in me being able to get through and talk with Coach Stewart. And we had the greatest phone conversation in 30 minutes. I had no idea what kind of reception I was going to get with Coach Stewart. But he just said, he started out, he said, I'm so glad you called. And he said, um, can I tell you some stories about your father? And I mean, I just, I listened for 30 minutes and they were so funny that some of the stories that he told and he, but he, and he said in his words, I don't know what we can, what gets bleeped on here or not, but he said, he was the most competitive son I knew, you know, and, and he said, and that little guy, he said he could coach his butt off. And he said, we knew every time that we played, we were in for a battle. And that, that's the ultimate compliment. And so my heart has healed over all those years. And, you know, you think all these guys are enemies, but it's not. And how many coaches have told me, you know, your dad did this or he did that behind the scenes to help me in my career. You know, it made me realize it's, and you hear a lot of times if you guys played sports and I know you did and people that are out there listening that played sports, it's amazing what a coach means in your life. But once my dad passed and we got all these phone calls and all these things that people said, you know, about my father, good things. Uh, it really made me realize how much all of those players and all those people meant to our family. And it's just, it's phenomenal how, you know, Coach Stewart now is a good friend. Uh, I've talked, you know, I've talked to Roy Williams, talked Coach Kruger has been amazing. Kelvin Sampson, amazing. Uh, Jamie Dixon at TCU. You just go down the list. Great way to grow up and it's a great life. Well, Tommy, you mentioned all those people, players your father impacted, the, the impact he's had on the program. I imagine a lot of that is what we're going to see in here on Saturday. And I'm so thrilled that you could join us to, to shed some light on it here and share some stories and all that. We've been thrilled to have you. Well, I really appreciate it, Eli. Thanks for having me. And Todd, I know, Todd, I know your background and, and how close you are uh, and watch Terry Evans. Uh, we want to, you know, keep Terry and his family in our thoughts and prayers, uh, especially now. But uh, I really appreciate it, and I love what you guys are doing on Sellout Crowd. It's amazing, and uh, anything that can that can uh, help promote sports, whether it's football or basketball, man, I'm all with you. And uh, 
thank you for having me on. Well, Tommy, we appreciate it. Thank you so much. As always, you can find Letterman Jacket wherever you get your podcasts, folks. Apple, Spotify, Amazon, YouTube. Follow all of our work at selloutcrowd.com, and we'll be back with another episode of the Letterman Jacket next week. Thank you.